Coaching Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Wood. Thank you for joining us today on this Tuesday morning. Sorry we had to move the podcast episode from Monday to Tuesday this week just due to some scheduling problems that we've had on our end. But thank you for joining us, and we'll try to keep it on schedule as much as possible. But if we do change anything, please follow us on our social media pages, as that's where we will give you updates on if there are any schedule changes. So you can find those social media pages from our website directly at therevolutionsports.com. So definitely check those out, and that way you can get the fastest way to get updates on if our podcast episodes are delayed just a day or so or if one's canceled or anything like that so be on the lookout for that but getting started today we're going to start out in sports going to talk about the nfl to get started we're going to look at just the nfl and college football just today and give you a recap of this week's games and then we'll dive into politics for for a little bit there's been some different things going on in both aspects so we're kind of going to try to break this up evenly today and we'll go from there but starting out like i said we're gonna start in week two of the nfl looking at tennessee and seattle this is a this was a very interesting game i only got about two games i want to talk about but this is one of them um and talking about this game it was very interesting especially for many people looking at both of these teams consider them possible super bowl contenders they both got players they both got talent they both got good coaches they 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 got the package basically um but with these two teams, everyone thought you know everyone thought the Seahawks would would probably win after the the performance that the Titans put up last week, where they got blown out thirty eight to thirteen by the Cardinals. So, and just how this started out, I know a lot of people were getting worried because I mean the Titans found themselves down twenty four to nine at one point in this game, and it just looked like a rehashing of last week where they were just going to get blown out and get get thrown off the field just in the early part of the game. And for a team that's supposed to be competing for a Super Bowl, that's supposed to look championship caliber, they just hadn't done that in the first game and a half. And the defense final I would this is a big point I'm going to stress in these two games that we're going to talk about from the NFL standpoint is just defense this year. Seen we all know the game of football, any game, basketball as well. Everything has translated to an offensive sport. Like, just the offensive side of the game has become bigger than defense in many people's eyes. So everyone wants to play offense. Everyone likes big scores. Everyone likes it when, you know, you have high-scoring games where you have the 50-40 to 40 games where you have games like that, the 30s, to, you know, 30s to th- in the both teams in the 30s scoring, and where you have five, 400 yards of offense. I mean – that's great if you like that, and you'll have plenty of that because that's just the way the game has – all games of sports have trended. And this one was obviously no different. You had both teams that put up put up plenty of yardage. You had uh, Tennessee put up 532 yards of offense, and then you had Seattle put up 400 yards of offense. So uh, both teams, like I said, moved the ball up and down the field. You had Russell Wilson dominating our first three quarters of the game, and – this is the difference, though. At, at some point, late third quarter, mid-third quarter, the Titans' defense finally just locked in and kept them at bay the rest of the game, allowing their offense to continue to roll. And they were – Derrick Henry, you know, had a great game. Ryan Tannehill had a great game. Like I said, 532 yards offense shows that. And they were able to get the game into overtime with the late game score. They get it into overtime, and they're able to get a field goal. And then their defense was able to get a almost a safety, but they were still able to get a stop and able to close the game out. So everything that's going to come down to this season and just 
and in the end, it's going to come down to defense. And people don't understand that unless you actually watch the game, you know, and act to, just to actually watch the game and break it down, you don't you don't understand that. If you like just to look at it, you're going to look at offense, and that's how it is. But any team that wins championships has some type of good defense that's going to step up. So this year in the NFL, you're going to have plenty of teams that have tons of offense. You got Cleveland, you got Kansas City, you got – the, you got the Ravens, you got the Titans, you got Seattle. They all got offense. It's Tampa Bay, I mean, you got, like I said, they all got offense. They all got great players. They all got, you know, they're all championship caliber teams. But whatever team that's going to win is going to have a defense that's going to step up and that's going to perform consistently. So whichever one of these I feel like can finally step up and start putting strings, you know, string wins together, stringing wins together, we'll have a shot obviously later in the year. And I know we're talking early, week two, you know, I always talk early, you know, and what's going on for long-term picture because a lot of people still don't think the regular season matters in the NFL's, you know, in the NFL schedule because they obviously they play 17 games as long as you, you know, make make the playoffs at all, you got a shot. You obviously do, but when you're trying to build chemistry, you're trying to build camaraderie around a team and build a team, it's going to start from the very first game of the season down to the 17th game of the season and, you know, in this sport. So for teams to start like putting themselves in a position where they're going to compete for a Super Bowl, that defenses have got to be better. So, with this game, like I said, lots of offense. You, you're glad to see Tennessee, you know, the Titans finally turn it around and finally be able to get themselves a win after that terrible performance last week. But they got to string stuff together. They got to continue to grow as a team with those new pieces that they got, like Julio Jones. But like I said, defenses have got to be better. So, that's game one we talked about. Moving to game two, we got the. Baltimore Ravens versus the Kansas City Chiefs. This was a game that was very exciting. Like I said, once again, plenty, plenty of offense. Over here you got 405 yards total offense for the Chiefs, and you got 481 yards for the Ravens. And this is what I'm talking about with with these games. You look at it, and you look at the Chiefs, who's obviously has won a Super Bowl and then has went on to lose last year in the Super Bowl. They've had decent defenses. This year they've played, like I said, I know it's been two of the best offenses in the league with Baltimore and uh, Cleveland, but the thing is you're still giving up 400-plus yards of offense to these teams, and you're also giving up 30-plus points to these teams. And these are the type of types of teams you're going to compete against later on down the line in the playoffs these caliber of teams, teams that are going to have really good offense, have have really good star players, star quality players. And if you're going to win, you can't just outscore teams. Yeah, you can outscore them for a game. You can, you know, maybe win and get to the next round. You win by a point. But the thing is, ultimately, you've got to find a way to be able to play both sides of the ball. And it's got to start at some point because, like I said, two back-to-back games, 400-plus yards, 30-plus points, that's not a good look if you're Kansas City. That's not what you want your team built off of and how they look. Now, in terms of this game, who I feel like it was definitely bigger for, obviously, is Baltimore. They've struggled to beat the Chiefs. Lamar Jackson before this was 0-3, and he finally was able to get a win against Patrick Mahomes. But obviously, we know Mahomes performed well. We know the whole offense performed well. But uh, Lamar Jackson really stepped up when it was needed, and they were able to to win that game and step out of – 
well, they were at home, so they were able to stay there and get a win and actually help them progress in their season, finally get over that hurdle, because I know that's always been a talking point, you know, for Lamar Jackson. Can he beat Patrick Mahomes, and can he be the star player, you know, that Baltimore needs them to be in, you know, make that step that they need to win the big games like that, so... They were able to do it, and like I said, they also got defense has to be better as well. So, like I said, I know it's great offenses versus great offenses going against each other, but whatever teams, like I said, starts finally buckling down and performing defensively is going to have the best shot to win win the Super Bowl this year. Because, like I said, anybody can score just about nowadays. So, whichever team can string together consistent stops, can control the line of scrimmage, can attack and rush the quarterback as the team. That, that I feel like later on down the year is going to have the best shot. And like I said, I know we're week two, but it's got to start at some point, and you got to start you got to start early and piecing that stuff together. And usually, I feel like most coaches say that their defenses are usually farther ahead at this point in the season, or just at, at the start of the season in general. But it doesn't seem like that's the case this year. It seems like these defenses are really trying to play catch up, and I don't know if that's just because. Either they don't care, and you know it's just a regular season, or just the offenses are that good at this point where defense is just playing catch up. I don't know, but like I said, just if these teams are going to be serious about winning a Super Bowl, they got to lock in defensively and they've got to perform better. So that's up to that's up to them. But those are obviously all four of these teams we just talked about games this week. They have got to be better on the defensive side of the ball if they're going to compete. And I think, you know, a couple of them definitely will step up. And I think ten- Tennessee's defense has got a chance to straighten straighten up. Definitely think the Chiefs' defense can play better than what they've shown. But they got to start turning it around at some point. So, ain't no better time than week three. So, we, we'll have some games for you next week when we when we get around to that. Looking forward to seeing what other matchups come out of that. But, Moving on, we're going to move on to college football and talk about the games this week. And we had some, we had some good ones, as we all know. They had plenty of games that were high quality matchups that give us some ramifications later on down the line for the college football playoff and just for bowl games in general. But starting out, just the two games I'm going to talk about before we get into the the political side of stuff on uh, just in politics, but. I'm going to talk about Penn State versus Auburn and then Alabama versus Florida. And this Penn State versus Auburn game was definitely a good one. We know it was in Happy Valley. They had the wide-out, uh, exciting game from start to finish. Both teams showed up ready to play. A lot of teams were questioning how well Auburn was going to be able to handle that type of environment in a wide-out because, I mean, there's only been, I think they said they were 6-6 six and six in wide-out games, so that's 12 games total they've played wide-outs. So not too many. Only select teams have played, you know, in that type of environment. So to see Auburn go in there and to perform well, I felt like, on both sides of the ball, was good for them. And this is – I know a lot of people are trying to slam Auburn. Oh, you lost, you know, you lost to Penn State. Well, one, Penn State's a good football team. Two – a lot of people forget that this is Brian Harson's first year as head coach over at Auburn, and I felt like he's done a tremendous job just in the short amount of time he's been there. And I think you can see that in Bo Nix's development, but I also feel like that offense is better than it was last year, even under a head coach, you know, offensive mastermind like Gus Malzahn last year. So this is, I feel like it's definite improvement. The defense looked better than I thought it would under, you know, year one under Derek Mason. So that's also an upside. But I feel like this year, if you're an Auburn fan, 
you got to take wins and stuff like this and these types of games. You played well against a obvious top ten team in the country. And take this as a win if you're an Auburn, you know, as an Auburn fan, or just as the Auburn program as a whole, because you got a lot of guys that are coming back. You obviously Tank Bigsby, he played well, like he has every week. He's able to run the ball. He scored two touchdowns for them, and he looked like the running back that we all thought he was going to be. Like I said, you see development with with Bo Nix. You can, I think, you'll continue to see that. I don't think his stock's high enough where he's going to be ready to leave after this year. So I think you got him and Tank again for another year. So you're looking at both of them coming back, and your offense should be even better next year. And then you're looking at the defense was is obviously younger, so they should all be re- most of them should be returning as well. And like I said, I know that's talking for next year, but like I said, this is going to be the type of season Auburn's going to have where they're going to play high quality teams and they'll compete because they definitely got the team to compete. But you're going to struggle to win games against Alabama, and you're going to struggle to win games against, uh, say, Arkansas, games like that against Georgia. You're not, you may not win games like that, but if you can come out of this season and go, you know, eight and five, eight and four, uh, you know, maybe even nine and three, you know, and at the at the end of the regular season, I think that's a big win for Auburn because I really think next year they got a shot of being really really competitive in the terms of national national contention. Um, just with the team that they'll be bringing back and with the types of players they'll have. So, But going back to the game, that's just for you Auburn fans. I see a lot of them that are upset. A lot of my family is Auburn fans, and they weren't too happy with the game. But this game was, was obviously great for Penn State. This is a game that they needed if they're going to continue to show that they have potential to win the Big Ten. And it's obvious they do with the type of defense they have. Auburn obviously scored 122, I think it was 122 points total in the first two games of the season, hold, held the opponents that they played to 10 points. So to go in there and beat, I mean, to beat a team like Auburn, that that was very impressive. Their defense held them to 20 points. They scored, uh, it was two field goals, two touchdowns, so that's how they got to 20 points. So obviously they only gave up two touchdowns, and that was just a really good job by their, by their defense. And... <clears throat> Like I said, you held Bo Nix to – you held him to 185 yards passing. He had to throw the ball 30-plus times. So, like, And that's what I said in, the, in our in our previous prediction. If, you can, if you're Penn State and you can get Bo Nix to have to throw that many times, you, you got a good shot of winning, and that's exactly what they did. And so for Penn State, you really liked how the game turned out, obviously, and I think it really helps them build their resume with another top 25 win. They beat Wisconsin in week one, so now – Week three, they've beaten Auburn, so definitely a good resume as they continue to build. But you got to, if you're Penn State, you got to continue to improve. The, I think the biggest thing for them is that they got to work on their defense is great. It's going to be competitive against any team they play. But for them, their offense, I feel like, has to get more explosive. And I understand there is a mindset change for Penn State this year when they brought in the new offensive coordinator. It was going from because like last year with Sean Clifford, he was turning the ball over at an exceptionally high rate. They were started off 0-5 because of the turnover differential, and they just struggled with that all year. And I know they wanted to change that, but I think at this point, I mean, Sean Clifford had a good, great game. Don't get me wrong. He was very high percent, you know, hitting high percentage throws, had a high percentage completion rate, um, threw for almost 300 yards. He did a great job, but if you're going to compete – in later on down the line against some of the teams you're going to have to play against if you want to get to the Big Ten Championship, to 
the you know college football playoff top four, you're gonna have to be able to hit big throws. You're gonna have to be able to be explosive. And teams all over the country will tell you that that's the whole reason Alabama switched up their offense a couple years ago, where they went from a team that was known for ground and pound, play strong defense, and just win football games that way, close football games. But now it's aerial attack, quick moving offense. You know, explosive plays. That's exactly what they're shooting for. That's what you're seeing over at Georgia now. Georgia's going from ground and pound to they're starting to air it out more. They're averaging almost 300 yards passing this year with 130-something yards rushing. So it's just a different approach that a lot of these teams are taking. And I know Penn State has, you know, hasn't turned the ball over hardly at all this year, and that's what they're trying to do. But at some point, you got to be more explosive. you got to get – deep shots you got to be able to keep defenses on their toes so while this is a great win for them and they were able to win you got to be thinking big picture later on against teams like Iowa in a couple weeks and you're going to have to play Ohio State later on so some big games that they're going to have to be ready for but this is definitely a good starting point continue to add you know add that foundation another win under your belt that you can continue to feel confident about and continue to hype your team up about and get them ready you know and practice for the next opponent so uh, the only thing you have to worry about when you play in a whiteout game and you play in this big high intensity game is a let down the following week so if you're Penn State you can't let your intensity drop you got to continue to push you got to continue to grind you got to continue to get better because this team they, the defense definitely has the potential to get them to where they want to go. Like I said, I'm just more interested to see what that offense does. So this was a very good game. I enjoyed it every minute of it. Uh, I was hoping that Auburn was going to pull it out because this was, I think, the only loss I had on my preview and prediction uh, games of the day. So that one stung a little bit. I thought Auburn was going to pull it out, but Penn State did a good job and they proved me wrong and, I feel like a lot of people thought Penn State was going to win, though, but that's that's fine. I thought Auburn just had a little bit more, but they obviously didn't. So moving on, next game we're going to talk about, we got Alabama and Florida, and I felt like this was the biggest game of the week. A lot of people wanted to say it was Penn State and Auburn, and that's fine if you think that. But to me, this game had a lot more importance because this game went just went for the national spotlight but also went for – the SEC as well. And the reason I say that is because now everybody knows at this point, Florida lost 31-29. They were down 21-3 to earlier on in the first quarter. And then Florida just, it was almost like they flipped the switch. Defense went lockdown mode. Offense was able to get rolling. Bama's defense was giving up big play after big play on the ground. Uh, Dan Mullen put together a good offensive plan. They were able to, to carry it out. And they were able to get right back in the game, and they had a shot there at the end to tie it and couldn't get the two-point conversion to to go. And Alabama's offense was able to move the ball a little bit and was able to run out the clock on Florida. So, uh, like I said, so 31-29 now. So we're talking Florida now 2-1, and one, Bama 3-0. and oh. So you got a loss for Florida already in the SEC, SEC play. And this is, like I said, this is where it's important because Florida – Obviously won the East last year. Georgia is has won the East the three years before that. Obviously, it's going to come down to those two teams again this year in the SEC East. Georgia is favored, should be favored. They've looked possibly like the best team in the country this year. But Florida obviously showed some signs of life, some you know a, a better performance than a lot of people thought they would. Bama was favored by 14 and, a, 14 and a half when this game kicked off. So obviously a lot closer than 14 and a half. So. Florida, if you know, should be proud. They should be, you know, excited. But it's a big 
big loss for them, I feel like, and I think it's one that a lot of people aren't talking about. They keep wanting to pat Florida on the back. And, yeah, Florida definitely played better than what everyone thought. But you already got that loss. So, you can, like I said, everything's still in front of them. They can control their own destiny. Even, you know, if they beat Georgia and they went out, they're still an SEC championship. But you you don't have any margin for error anymore at this point. Because if you slip up again, you're already two games under Georgia. And even if Georgia, you know, you go to in the the cocktail party in Jacksonville and you lose to Georgia, you're down two games already in the SEC. And you really probably don't have a shot of making it to the SEC championship at that point. So, Right now, everything's there in front of them. They can still control their own destiny, but this just makes it with no margin for error anymore at this point. So they have a lot to build off of. Like I said, they their defense really locked up when they had to. They they gave up 21 to Alabama in the first quarter, and then they gave up 10 just the rest of the way through the last three quarters. So Alabama didn't even score again until late in the third quarter. So defense did a really good job. They at first, it was really shaky. There, there was kind of just a lot of coverage breaks. Alabama was able just to get what they wanted, but when they finally settled in, they started, you know, giving them some different looks. Alabama's offense just kind of stuttered, and it, I don't, it wasn't in no part to Bryce Young. It was just a lot of different factors that played into it. But I think a lot of it that happened while their offense really wasn't able to get going for Alabama is Florida was just able to eat clock because the. It looks like this year we all know that Dan Mullen is an offensive genius. He did it at Mississippi State. He's done it here now at Florida. He takes he takes players that are not five stars, but they're more like three, four stars, and he makes them and he gets the best you know possible return he can out of them. And he's he's doing it again. So he's transformed his offense with Kyle Trask. You know, last year from an aerial attack to this year they're a they got a two quarterbacks now that they can use one of them's really explosive the other one's i feel like is a good game manager and they got a trio i mean a good two three running backs that can obviously pound the ball and get effective yardage so if you're florida you're you know you're excited about that you got a lot to build off of dan mullen did a great job changing that offense from like i said from the aerial attack to the run attack so they got plenty to build off of but with that like i was saying when they change this, though, you're obviously eating more clock when you're running the ball as much as they are. So they were—I mean, they were just gashing Bama constantly. When you put up 245 yards of rushing offense on Bama, that's—that's—it is impressive. But and Nick Saban, he in his post-game interview, he talked about how he said that he felt like his defense just got tired, and while they may have gotten tired, you're—you're you're not at a point in the season where you can. Can be you can't really do much conditioning at this point. So if you're tired now, you're going to be tired more than likely later on. And yeah, you'll you'll build build better in game shape as the season goes along. But you're if you're tired by the time halftime rolls around and you're getting beat by the type of plays running plays that they were at that point of the game, it, it's it's not a good look. And I think that's a lot of people are feeling the same way I do. It definitely looked like Alabama was very vulnerable. A lot of people were saying after the first two weeks of the season, Alabama's already won the national championship. This, you know, it's just not even fair. It's not even right. And I tried to tell people at the beginning of the year it, that Alabama's definitely beatable. I was watching the first game of the, of the year against Miami. Miami was ranked number 14. Everyone was, you know, oh, Alabama just beat the brakes off of Miami. And everyone, you know, was ready to crown Alabama already. And I said, if you can go back to the the – podcast episode we had right after the first week of college the first week of college football and I said 
while Alabama did look good, Alabama did what they were supposed to do. Miami did not look that good whatsoever, and there was times where their receivers were running down the field with 10, 15 yards of cushion and were able to catch the ball, and that's easy if you're a quarterback like Bryce Young. You can just you know throw it up there, and they'll be able to get it, and they'll have a touchdown, and that's exactly what happened, and it's shown again with Miami that they are not a good football team. They're now 1-2. and two. They've played three games. The one that they won, they won by two points, and the other two t- teams that uh, they played, Alabama and Michigan State, they've got blown out by, and it hasn't even been close. They've been dominated on both sides of the ball. And that's what I was trying to tell people. It it wasn't that Alabama looked like they were the best team in the country because they played like it. It was because of how bad the other team, the other two teams were that they played. And I'm not saying Bama's bad. They're they're definitely. I still have them number one in my rankings until someone beats them. But they're not. They they're not unbeatable. They're definitely beatable. There's a select few teams I think can beat them, and I think their biggest threat right now is definitely Georgia. And Georgia is looking very, very good, like the type of team that can definitely match up with them and has a favorable matchups against them. So, uh, like I said, going back to what Nick Saban said where he was talking about the team just looked tired, that's just not something you change right in the middle of the season. And so they got to figure that out. I know they're dealing with a couple of injuries in that linebacker section, but it's next man up mentality, and you got to have that. So, And I know it sounds like we're down on Bama after he's still winning a game against a top, you know, a top, 15 team in the country but you go from talking about them as unbeatable to man they just got gashed for 245 yards of offense it doesn't it, it's a win for Bama but it doesn't feel like a win they they definitely look vulnerable now and I can tell you what's happening right now at Alabama Nick Saban is eating this up though he is so excited that he finally has something to motivate his guys and get them ready and so while I think he'll try to use this as motivation and definitely he can I think it'll help them I feel bad for Southern Miss when they play them this this next Saturday because obviously I think Bama's going to blow them out sixty something to probably you know ten or something like that. But this is good for them. But at the same time though, when you play teams that are going to you know compete against you heavily, be able to run the ball at you, be able to spread spread your guys out. I just don't see where you really change up the whole the whole conditioning thing. You're being tired that early in a game. And because it wasn't like they got tired down the stretch and then they started giving up big runs. I mean, like I said, it was mid-second quarter. Florida turned it on and they were able to start scoring a little bit. And they, it was twenty-one nine at halftime. And then shortly after that, Florida's right back in at twenty-one sixteen. And then you just you know they just kept gashing Bama and gashing Bama. And you know Bama finally scored late third quarter. They kicked the field goal uh, to go up one score, thirty-one to twenty-three. And then obviously we know Florida went down, scored, and missed the two-point conversion. So. Uh, we all know though this game. This is why a lot of people don't. A lot of people don't talk about it as well. This year, I say defense. I said it in the, talking about the NFL. Defense is going to carry whoever wants to win the Super Bowl this year is going to be based off of defense. And same idea in college football. The last couple of years have been very predicated to offense, and there's still a lot of good offenses this year. But it definitely looks like defense is going to carry the game this year in college football as well. So if you've got a good defense, you got a really good shot because none of these offenses are some of the – they're not some of the greatest offenses of all time. They're just decent offenses. You're coming after some of the best offenses of all time in college football. So it definitely it's definitely hard going from those type of offenses to this. So like I said, if you got a good defense, you got a good shot. So Bama with that, it it's, it's kind of – you're kind of worried if you're an Alabama fan, like I said, a lot, some other people. But, I mean, obviously don't count Bama out. They're always going to be there. But 
you definitely have to you have to look at that and you have to talk about it. But like I said, another aspect besides defense special teams, you look at Florida if they make that extra point earlier in the game when they scored that they scored their first touchdown, it'd be twenty one ten and at that point they score their next touchdown is twenty one seventeen. Bama scores it's twenty eight seventeen. Florida scores, you go twenty one uh twenty eight twenty four, Bama kicks field goal thirty one twenty four, Florida scores, you're at thirty one thirty one, you're going to overtime and you got a real shot of potentially upsetting Alabama. So Special teams is going to be important as well. People don't talk about it, but there's a lot of good special teams out there this year, and they have done a really good job in it. And if you're Florida, that's one one spot that's got to worry you as you move further into conference play. If you're you know if you're missing stuff like that, so definitely some good games. Alabama stays number one for now. Florida shouldn't you know didn't move much, shouldn't have moved much. They still look good. They they got a chance to prove themselves later on, but. That's college football for us on this. We'll have have the college football playoff preview show this Saturday as well. Look for that as we move into week four. Got a couple of good games in week four. And looking forward to bringing those to y'all when we get to there. But at this point, going to go ahead and switch over. We're going to talk about politics for a few minutes. I know that there's been some different stuff that's going on. But the, the one thing I want to talk about is this... Uh, this border crisis that we've obviously been having for a while now, ever since Biden came into office, but has obviously not gotten any better. And they keep saying, don't come here, don't come here, we don't want you here, we got, you know, we have too many people already coming. But obviously your actions speak louder than words. You look at Biden, he stopped the border the border wall construction. They haven't done anything but by adding security to the border, and they... Put he put Biden put Kamala Harris in charge of the border as the borders are quote unquote, and she's been down there once for a photo op. And when we finally get videos uh, from Del Rio, Texas, where we have thousands and thousands pouring in, we look where the borders are is at, and she's at a college football game flipping a coin for the pregame part of it. So instead of being where she's at, I mean where she should be down at the border trying to figure stuff out like this, they are. Just you got Biden who's pedaling his bike at his home in Delaware, and then you got the vice president, the borders are at college football games at Howard University. So your leaders are, like I said, they're not showing, they're not, they're not, they're not backing their talk. They're saying one thing, and they're doing completely the opposite. They're not doing anything to change this. So you have Texas down here trying to do everything. Looking at Greg Abbott, he's now trying to get a federal federal declaration of emergency based off the border, and obviously he's not going to get it because the Biden administration continues to say that they don't have a problem that's being taken care of, that they're waiting for their policies to their new policies, and you know that they want to change to go into effect. They're talking about they're going to start uh, planning, you know, putting people some of these people on a plane and sending them back to Haiti, where some of them are coming from, and obviously we have yet to see that already. And you're wondering if that's going to happen because everything that they've said they're going to do, they haven't done, or anything that they've said that they weren't going to do, they've done. So you're sitting here looking at this and you're wondering what's going to change it. And it's going to take Texas to be able to change this. They're going to have to do it on their own. And a couple of these other states are going to have to help out as well. You see states like Florida and I think South Dakota was another one where they were sending a couple of their their officers down there, their uh, some of their police force down there to help out at the southern border. And obviously that is not a fun job, so we appreciate the people that do go down there and take care of that. But a lot of this, they they keep talking about how, like Kamala Harris, they 
they say how they're addressing the root cause of the the immigration problem that we're having, the the migrant problems that we're having at the border. And they say it's because these countries don't have the access to stuff that they need. They don't have great opportunities for these people and that we need to send more money down to these countries in Central America and we need to help them out. This is the part that people don't understand when when it comes down to the border crisis and when it comes to immigration in general. Even myself, I have no problem with immigration whatsoever. I have no problems with migrants coming over here and wanting to be a part of American society. I have no problem with that whatsoever. We'll never have a problem with that. That is a great part about America. You come here, you have the choice to come here if you would like to. And with that, though, there has been a set of rules since the very start of our country where we won independence from Britain and where we put immigration laws in and they have obviously changed since the very beginning to you know different in different aspects but there's always been immigration laws you cannot just come in here and just cross over illegally and make a, make a name for yourself here in this country you cannot do that you have to come in legally you have to become an american citizen by applying for citizenship and do it the right way there's no the thing is when you have these immigrants come over and they get over the border illegally. They come in. They start taking jobs from working American citizens, and then that also drives pri- the working like labor prices down, and it ends up hurting America in just that aspect. But I'll talk about another one later on. But from that from that point of view, we're looking at it. That is one thing that is hurt, especially in Texas. You also look at it from where they're at down there in Del Rio, Texas, and the surrounding areas there. They've talked about how they're having food shortages, and I've seen stuff as far as where the federal government is trying to pay restaurants and talk restaurants into providing food for the borders that they have housed under the highways down there because they don't have enough room for all these places for all these for all these migrants in their facilities that they're housing them at. They just don't have enough room so they're putting them under highways and trying to feed them there at those locations. And like I said, the Biden administration says, oh, we don't have a problem or, you know, we're addressing when they try to when they finally do admit there is a problem. Oh, we're addressing these causes. Well, they don't do anything about it. And then when you get they they say they're not doing I mean, when they don't do anything about it, obviously, people are going to find out about it. So like how we found out about it, how it became, came up back in the news again is the other day we had drone shots, aerial shots of them housing these migrants underneath the highway, like I just said a few minutes, a few seconds ago. They're down there. There's thousands and thousands of them, and they're in terrible conditions. And, I mean, it, it's just a terrible situation overall how they're put down there. And the Biden administration won't address it. They say, you know, they don't think there's a problem with it. And it's all by design. And the reason why I say that, you can look over, and I'm going to transition to this in a minute, but you look at what they want to do with their I'll go ahead and bridge the topics together just so it makes sense but just the other day just yesterday or two was it two days it was one or two days ago the Senate parliamentarian committee said that the the Biden administration the Democrats could not fuse in immigration reform into their 3.5 trillion dollar uh bill that they want to pass in the Senate and obviously through Congress as well by way of reconciliation where they only need 50 votes, which would be the 
all the Democrats and the, obviously the Republicans are not going to vote for this. So they would be able to pass this. They would give these immigrants that are coming over through the border illegally, they would have a pathway to citizenship. And at that point, the Democrats would have about – they say there's 8 million people here, illegal immigrants, that would be getting this pathway to citizenship. But from other estimates, it says it's probably closer to 20 million. So you have about 20 million people that are going to have – have American citizenship within the next couple of years that will be able to vote in elections, and obviously they're going to vote for the people that gave them all these government all these government handouts. They're going to give vote for the people that gave them their citizenship, and it's so anti-American because. And if you're all these if you're these people that came here illegally, it should tick you off, and it ticks me off. And I understand I'm very blessed to be born in America and live in America and have the opportunities that I have. That is a blessing, and that is something that I will never be able to – and it's, the thing is I can't do nothing about it. I was born in America. That was where I was placed, and that's where I was born. And these people, same thing. They just weren't given – they weren't given the same opportunity we we have. They were born in other locations, and that's the hand they were dealt. And it, while it, it sucks that they're, they don't have these type of situations, it's not America's job to play you – know, play – the daycare or play the dad of all these other countries and all these these migrants it's not their it's not our job and while we hope other countries give people the opportunities that we have in America we know that's a sad reality that, that not everyone will have those and like i said it's a sad situation but you cannot you cannot support all these people you cannot have this happen because it just doesn't work as Going back to the Senate Parliamentarian Committee where she was talking about how if you did factor in all these people – and this this is going off the 8 million estimate that they say they have. They said within the next couple of years it would raise the, the debt limit by almost $200 billion just in the next few years as soon as this goes into effect. So you're already adding $200 billion, but like I said, that's off of the $8 million. So if you really have $20 million, you're probably going roughly about $500, you know, $500 billion. So – and that's just in that short amount of time. You're not talking about long-term stuff where you know you have more people on welfare or getting other government handouts that you have. So you're not even taking that into an account. But anyways, going back to what I was saying, where it's it's all by design because, like I said, if they can get this immigration bill, you know, this reform put in place, they'll be able to have more voters. They'll be able to stay in power. They won't have to worry about it. And you, if it does happen, you will see the greatest border crisis you've ever seen at any country or any time in history in your you know ever because anybody that sees this happen is going to instantly run to the border they will literally swarm any type of resistance that is there and they will force their way into this country because they know that our government is going to give them the citizenship that they want and this is exactly what the democrats want they want these people in here so they can have the votes they can have the power they can continue to do whatever they want with having no restrictions and that's ultimately what this is about and i mean you can see it because when this when the senate parliament parliamentarian committee said that this was not allowed in the budget reconciliation process because one, it doesn't the financially it doesn't work, but at the same time though you can't justify a policy change by forcing it into a budget problem. Uh, you had people like Elon Omar, the uh, congresswoman, and you had a couple of other you know heavily progressive people say that they should just 
not listen to the Senate Parliamentarian Committee and just go ahead and add it into the bill anyways. And that's exactly how they work. They don't care about the rules. They don't care about what you're supposed to do. They just want to do it their own way and they'll try to just so they can stay in power so they can get what they want. Like I said, this is ultimately what it's about. So that's talking talking about all that. That's not even talking about what how they keep blaming the, you know, the vaccinated people for the rises and covid cases but we have no idea what these migrants are bringing with them from all these other uh, countries and how they're not making these people be vaccinated and they're not testing them unless they have symptoms so obviously that that's something i can talk about another time but that's just another thing to think about when in this whole situation that they obviously don't want to talk about and just just yesterday Jinsaki was you know saying how they only test people that have symptoms but obviously they say they follow the science but they don't care about testing everyone even though people could be asymptomatic so obviously it's just one hypocrisy after another it's a double standard they do what they want and they'll continue to do what they want until there's major pushback so like i said that's what we're here all about here at revolution sports continuing to keep awareness on these situations and fight back against this this culture they've instilled in you know in sports and in politics and how we're just trying to keep the main things the main things so i uh, thank y'all for joining us today on this tuesday looking be looking for our next episode on thursday we'll come out with that at eight o'clock as well if you want any more articles to read if you want any more information on news follow us on our website at therevolutionsports.com and get our social media pages as well from there they'll be up there in the at the bottom of the page or either in the corner of the page where you can just click on it it'll take you straight to the pages and there you can get um breaking news as fast as possible as you know when it comes out we'll have it updated for you so you can see that so definitely do that but with that said thank y'all for joining us today and we'll see y'all thursday